dear listener, welcome to Gamer's Lounge, episode 146. Does the smell of bliss really just lighten up your day? Does flipping the switch to shock your neighbors into being more motivated just bring you joy? Does digging holes in the ground and finding used balloons, broken glasses, and maybe a book put just a little bit of the fear from the government into you? Then you are a likely candidate for euphoria. Come to euphoria. We're eating pumpkins, digging up bricks, and building a shopping mall really are all that you might be set for. I don't know. Maybe that's not that good. This is Bill. Um, this episode's a little bit late, but hours, not days, not weeks, not even months. So I'm calling it a win. We're keeping up on our track of Gamers Lounge 2019. And, uh, well, this is a episode where I have a group of my locals out. And uh, we played Euphoria, a fantastic game by Stonemeyer's Games. Um, we give it a bit of a review, and uh, I think uh, everybody will enjoy it. So this might be a game that has made it to your table. Uh, it may not. There is an expansion that is coming out imminently, so we thought this was timely, as that expansion is almost guaranteed to continue returning this game to the table for us. And, uh, well, here we go. So, uh, with very further ado, let's jump into the episode. Hey, hey, this is Bill, and I have a whole room of people, which is so weird after so long. So, <laughs> so why don't we go left to right, my left, your right, and introduce yourselves. All right. This is uh, Benjamin. This is John. This is Alex. Okay. So uh, with the return of Gamers Lounge, we're doing uh, game reviews and trying to help people out or help the person out. And the listener, of course, needs none of our help because they've played all these games. But, hey, we all like to talk. So today... It's actually morning, so, I mean, we're looking at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, which means I feel like I've been awake for 15, 20 minutes. And, uh, <laughs> no, I woke up very early this morning. And uh, we sat down and got together to play a game and decided to play Euphoria. So, Euphoria, um, I, I think it's a great game. I've I've loved it, but if I go out to... Board Game Geek and take a look at Euphoria. We're uh, looking at a game that scales up to five people. We played it with four. Uh, of course, the internet is very, very slow, so what I thought was going to be up isn't coming up. Um, hey there now. And Bill, would you say it's a worker placement game almost from Stonemaier Games? I, I think I would. I think I would, except the workers are dice, right? So um, 
So that means they have a variable value when placed. Which could be could be good, could be bad, comes into play sometimes. So overall, we're looking at uh, what Board Game Geek calls a mid-range complexity. Um, Stonemaier Games, Jamie Stegmaier and Alan Stone, we're talking about the same company that makes Viticulture, same company that makes um, Scythe, uh, same company that makes Charterstone. Which we'll touch on at least a couple of those in relation to Euphoria. Uh, Euphoria, two to six players, recommended playtime, 60 minutes. And I'm trying to remember, it came out. Geez, when did it release? It's been out for a while. It's, it's not a. It actually won a bunch of awards in 2013 and 2014. So nice. it's been out at least five years. Um. So, you know, uh, build a better dystopia. Basically, depress your people. <laughs> um, so, who wants to jump in? Like, what's the... Uh, I kind of gave you guys the background, but now you've played. What's the story behind Euphoria? What are we doing? All right. So, um, it's it's an interesting game. So, you have this uh, wonderful little city called Euphoria. Uh, I think that's what it's called in the... Happiness. It's... <laughs> Happy Town. Um, so it's interesting because it's the whole idea is it's, you know, this dystopian sort of uh, town where what happens is that you have these overlords, which is what everybody is playing in the game, uh, kind of working and producing with their workers. But the thing is, is that they want to suppress the workers because um, working conditions in the town. Maybe they're not the greatest, but um, one of the things as overlords we like to do is there's this wonderful happy gas in the game called... Um, Bliss. Bliss. Uh, I mean, it sounds wonderful, right? I, I think it's wonderful. <laughs> so it's this whole... The way the mechanics and the story of the game works is this whole idea of you want to keep your workers happy, you want to keep them not too bright, because once people start wising up and going, hey... You know, maybe working conditions aren't too great in the town. You'll start losing workers. People won't work for you because they wise up about it. And you're trying to, well, put it, not put it too lightly, abuse the workers <laughs> to get yourself the most resource and the most prestige in the game in order to win. So there's four factions in the game. You have the Euphorians, who live in the city itself and have the power plant running and get to live above ground. You have the uh, wastelanders who are out in the wasteland farming, growing your oranges. You have the Icarins, who we all know are the best. <laughs> How do we know they're the best? They live in the blimps. Uh -huh. they, they're, they're, they're above the ground. <laughs> Way <laughs> above the ground. And then you have the Subterrans, who are dwarves. <laughs> who basically have the water aquifers uh -huh. and live underground. And, uh, yeah, so you're, uh, individually we're all tyrant overlords, which is a good thing. Yeah. Especially the more bliss you make people smoke is a breathe. <laughs> so, uh, so Alex, it was your first time playing, right? Yes. First time seeing the game. Yes. John and Benjamin, you guys have played before. Yes. Played one time. Before. One time. So what did you think? Like, what is your, so you're, before we dig into mechanics and pieces and tearing this whole idea apart, how did, like, what did you think about the game? I like it. You like it? I like it. I, I did. Alex is like, 
Shut up. Why, why are you asking me? No, I like, what a silly it question. Was, no, it was, no it was, I like to say, I like to, I like to, I like to, we were talking about it. I like the the fact that, you know, give, they give you, they give you the, um, what is it, that card, that card piece that you can put it, uh, you can put in like how much, like how much, um, what is it? The, Commodities, commodities, and the resources. Resource, the resources that you, you can track. You track it there instead of putting like a whole bunch of tokens and stuff over there. So what Alex is describing that you have a card that has times one, times two, times three, and the first time you take a commodity, commodity in this game being electricity or power, being food, being water, being bliss. Am I missing one? No, it's just the four. Mm-hmm. So if you're taking one of those commodities, you basically take one token. And until you get three of them, which is one token times three, all you need is the one token. Same thing for resources. So your stone, your brick, your gold. Right? Stone, brick, gold. What am I missing? Clay. I'm missing one. Yeah, clay. Clay. Stone, brick, gold, clay. We really yeah. used the clay in, in, in this game. Yeah. We really didn't, did we? Nah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and then there's a couple of markets, right? So, um, John, how did I, how did I win? <laughs> there we go. Okay, Bill. So, um, <clears throat> and is it really winning? It, <laughs> Tell me how. So I'm great. The, the game has a bunch of interesting player interactions. There are uh, four tracks for the uh, the the different sort of factions in the game. There's a track for the Subterrans. Uh, there's a track for the uh, Wastelanders. A track for the uh, Icarians and a track for the, the Euphorans. The Euphorans. Um, and on these tracks, as they advance, as you take actions that are related to those factions, um, it's a global thing. You get more resources um, and you potentially can get victory points. And you can also reveal these sort of agents that you've got sleeping that will give you more bonuses. And the agents is one of the components that there's interplay between players. Mm-hmm. Like some of the agents will benefit you. Some of the agents kind of mess with your other, your opponents. Some of the benefits, some of them do both. Um, what? 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 <laughs> oh, boy. So. But, I mean, just because John had a teacher. <laughs> oh, boy. Which, which, let's remember, workers getting smarter in this world is bad for you. <laughs> Bad for the workers, but we don't really go into that. (laughs) I agree. I'm sure it's bad for the workers. Education, bad. (laughs) (laughs) So the other thing that this does is, and this is one of the early Stonemaier games that does this. I don't know if Viticulture does this or not, or Tuscany does this, um, but this was very much one of the first games that Stonemaier came out with, with the star tracking. You do something and you get a star on the board. And when the first person to place all their stars on the board wins. And sort of the same thing goes with Scythe. The same thing goes actually with um, with uh, Charterstone, where you have these, you know, their legacy game, where you have these markers that you're putting out on the board. You're, you're grinning, John. Oh, I was just going to say, so your goal is to generate enough of the correct resources to get the achievement stars. I think that's, but you've got to create a market almost to let you, or an engine. 
an engine, yeah. To to let you generate this, because if you just go one to one, you're going to get outpaced. Right, right. And there's, or you want big big swings. You want you know this action. Like one of the things I had, I ended up at one point along the way recruiting a second, um, a second agent, which when we were allowed at one point in the game, you get to put achievement stars on your agents because I had two of the same agent, not same agent, two agents from the same area. When that area reached ascendance, if you will, uh, I think that's the right word for the Akarans, right? They ascended. <laughs> I mean, you can't get any higher than sky, right? <laughs> when the bliss, when the bliss merchants got high enough. There we go. <laughs> Yeah, but I was able to kind of burst and put out multiple stars. Uh, but then, yeah, after that, it was it really was just a cycle of I was able to generate bliss my and generate resources. Resources then generated achievements. Achievements generated more resources, and it became a very quick cycle to end. I'd say the start of the game is a bit slow because you're building your. Building engine. your engine, um, and you don't really know what else is going to come into place from the other players, because part of their engine is hidden. Right, right. Well, part of their, yeah, part of their engine, right? They Everybody starts with a leader who's, or a uh, a recruit who's unknown. And uh, you get, so when you start off, you get four recruit cards. Of the four, you'll select two, one of which will be active. The other one you're trying to recruit through the course of the game through the course of the game yep what did you guys think of the recruits like the the so the recruits again the fact that some of them help you some of them some of them are your counterplay like what did you think about that in the game and that mechanism um so i think it's that's where you get the variation out of the game really um and it was kind Heart of testing at its best. <laughs> <laughs> that's quality. All right. But um, it's it's interesting because that's where you get your variation in the game. And as well, some recruits kind of play against other recruits. So, for example, the game that we were playing in, I had a recruit that he really incentivized me for putting a whole bunch of people onto one single spot to get extra bonuses. Well, John, on the other hand, he had a recruit that punish that play style that every single time he placed somebody on one of those spots that I'd like to build up on, I would take a negative penalty. So it kind of had this unique sort of play back and forth of between us. Yeah. And the unfortunate thing is I was playing right after Ben in turn order. So once Ben got his <laughs> advantage, then I can go back and give him a negative and give myself a positive. Right. But Ben would have no idea that I had that card because you don't know who the other guy's <laughs> bonus recruit is, you know, at the well, start he of the could game. Have seen your he could have seen your face-up stuff. But, yeah, when you're selecting him, you don't know. Yeah, like you're selecting. Mm-hmm. Would you th- did, you, did you use your recruit much? No, not really. Because my recruit had to be done by the market. I had to, had to, had to go through, I had to go through, I had to go through the mining process. And I did. I already did a mining process to like almost like close to the end of the game. Okay. That's when it was. That's when we opened the other two other two markets. When I got to the other uh, the other market, I was going to open that one. And then when that other market came up, we said that like one of them can't. It, if if one dice goes there, 
nobody else can open that market. I wasn't part. Of, I wasn't part. Of, I wasn't part of that section. Right. So when I had it, yeah. So that's one of the other areas of counterplay. There are six markets on the board. Two. So there's more than that. There are six random markets on the board. There are three markets that are in the Icarus Sky territory. They're open to everybody from the beginning. However, then there are there are three other markets that are made up of two markets each. To get your six. Those are randomly generated. And that's another part of counterplay. Because they need to be built. So you're investing resources, not commodities, to build. So gold and you're trying to buy some land and you're trying to put some bricks together and, you know, put some stone and whatnot. But when you can have multiple people, like in our game with four players... You needed to fill three of the resources. Whoever contributed those three resources, once they would build the market, and then they all got a star, an achievement, an authority on that market. The trick is, now anybody who doesn't have authority in that market takes a penalty across the board for the rest of the game. So like our first market, John and I built that one together, and well, or... You can look at it the way it really happened, which is I started to build it, and then John jumped on my coattails. <laughs> That's the game strategy. <laughs> but um, we built that market together, and we both get stars, which means Benjamin and Alex now, I think the penalty for that one was where normally if they roll doubles on their dice or the same number across multiple dice, doubles, triples, quadruples, they can place all those dice together in their turn and that stop them from doing that until they can gain authority in that market, place a star on that market. So, so I mean, we only had a little bit of it, but do you guys have any thoughts about that level of counterplay? Like how important, how important or how much would you prioritize building markets going into your next game? So, um, looking back on it, um, I remember, so outside of just this game that we had just played, um, I always had underestimated the markets, I'd say, because in the other games that I played, and including this one, I never really built anything. And you look at some of the negatives on the, the markets, and you're like, oh, it's, you know, not really that harsh, but then... Um, it certainly can hold you back, and also just the fact that you get to place a victory star um, is another big thing. So um, I think they kind of deceptively look not that important and deceptively look kind of too hard to get, but I'd say they are kind of more important than they are at first glance is the easy way to say it. And to come in on them after they're built, it's it's painful, the amount of resources. It's expensive. Yeah. Yeah, if you get it on the ground floor, it's super cheap as long as you've got that commodity that you need. Right, right. Or the resource, not the commodity. Yeah. So, yeah, all the markets are built not with the water and everything else, but they're actually built with the things that take a little bit of work to get. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I've always – it's been a while since we had played before we played today, but I have thought about, you know, it, it's almost like a, a compounding punishment. Um, I get further ahead by contributing and building more markets while the people that aren't jumping in start to get very much slowed down. And if I prep early game to just grab a bunch of resources, I could sort of go back to back to back on my own activations 
and start to punish all the other players. And the the resources needed to build the markets isn't going to change from game to game. That's right. fixed. What's unknown is the uh, the penalties for not participating. The penalties, and then the other thing you get from the market is you can buy influence in that area. So it's a it is the mechanism to get stars out on the board, not just placing them on the market, but also in each of the different areas you have this little star area where you can drop your stars. So yeah, because I don't think I'm like. I think the next game, if I try this again, like I'll try on more resources because it's best to get a lot more the different resources. I'll do the whole game with getting a bunch of water, <laughs> but yeah. I think I think multiple resources because that's going to help you out a lot during the game. Because more because like you get get like get more get more like, like electric, you get more. That will give you more. Give you more other the other resources that will help. That will help you build up those markets. That will help you build. That help and also it will build up. And also it will help build up like other like other spots so everybody else can get do the same thing. Now, so something I noticed. Although Benjamin, you've actually played a number of times, so it's a little bit different. Like, like Alex, you had a lot of stars left. So I was what I was going to say is, you know, John's played once. He had the second. He was the second closest to winning right you john had the second largest number of stars out on the board and then alex and benjamin you guys sort of never really got an engine working that contributed to stars you had other engines that contributed to like alex for you you got a bunch of water and dug the crap out of some tunnels mm-hmm. but never really turned that into victory points and then benjamin you just never had workers <laughs> oh boy, this game had conspired against me. Um, so there's, uh, like uh, um, that was described earlier, that once your workers wise up a bit, they have a chance to leave you. Um, and how does that mechanism work, Benjamin? As, as, as somebody who may or may not be most familiar with it. So um, what happens is that there is a track on the board for your popularity with, uh, or I'm sorry, your how smart in general your workers are. And what happens is when you um, get some workers, uh, they are dice, and you'll roll them, and there'll be a certain value. And if the value of all the workers you have that are not on the board, plus the value of their collective intelligence stat that there is, meets or exceeds 16, one of your workers is going to wise up. The smartest worker. The smartest worker is going to wise up, and he's going to leave. Well... Apparently, in the game where you don't want to roll high, I am really good at rolling high. <laughs> Let me tell you, um, I think I probably lost at least twice as many workers as the second closest person who had lost workers that game. I think game. that's fair. Um, so I kept trying to build this engine where, because uh, I had of my supporters, I had a lot of things that dealt with generating electricity, using electricity. So I kept trying to build up to, because that's one way you can get workers is through using electricity. So I kept trying to build up this engine where I make a bunch of electricity, make all my workers come out and, um, you know, kind of base it off of that. But every single time I kept just rolling awfully. And then uh, my, my good friend here, John, 
thought that he would help me with this too by making my guys smarter too <laughs> and it just it just snowballed and i never really ended up doing anything <laughs> well, well then there's another way you could look at it you could ask bill to bring the game to the store and then just use those dice when you play guild ball there, you go. <laughs> there we go <laughs> what could go wrong i know <laughs> I, I said that phrase maybe about three or four times during that game, and uh, well, I was clearly shown what could go wrong. <laughs> so, did you guys feel like you? Did you feel like you didn't know early enough in the game what it took to get the engine going, or do you feel like you missed something? Yeah, because I was t- when <laughs> we were talking about that. It's like. Yeah, most of most of my workers were dumb the entire game. <laughs> so you never lost. Yeah, you didn't really lose your workers. I, I lose workers. They I got a lot. They they were they were dumb the entire game, and they had a lot, and they loved me for it, which is awesome. But you also didn't translate that into into victory points, right? Yeah. You didn't translate that into. A that, path was the, to that was the thing. I was too busy focusing on that. And I was too busy trying to like. That was like, oh yeah, I need to get I need to get resources. So I was like, all right, so I'll try to go and get resources. But then things like. What's going to be my? I was I was just thinking, what's going to be for the next turn? Should I go for resources? Should I go? For, should I go? And I I throw I thoroughly bypass the markets. And when I saw the markets, it was all the pennies going to markets. Like, oh, I need to start on this now. So I was like, okay. that's why I, I was like, all right, that's why I need to start getting on this. So I get on this. I was busy like, no, well, was get- it not? Ob- so I guess the question would be, do you think it's not obvious enough in the game, or did? I do a bad job not explaining it to you, so I cheated you. Or do you think you just got no, caught up in the tactical? No, no, it, it's like you know, it's like you know, it's like you know, it's like what Ben said. It's deceptively like you think you, you think like, oh, this ain't this is a is a word. It, it should it shouldn't worry about it. And then when you pop up, it's like, oh, he's like, you get every like the entire it goes for the entire board. It's like, oh. All right, this is like this. Is, all right, now I need to focus on this now. So okay. I need to focus on. I need to focus on. I need to focus more on this. I need to focus. I was too busy. I would focus on that. I would try to focus on um, the main, the main, the main objective. With, um, when when you pop the cards up, you got the um, you have the both, you have the both, the, um, both dilemmas. Right. I would fo- try to focus on dilemmas. It was a. Little, I was like, okay. I was. Like, I would try to focus on that. Cause I was like, when I was put, when I, when I had people mining. I have people in mind. I was like, oh, I was, I'll try to, I'll try to get, I'll try to get, I'll try to get the dilemma. I'll try to get the dilemma. But also, like, should I get the dilemma for? Should I put these You're cards about in? The artifacts. The right? Artifacts. Yeah. yeah. I get the, should I get the artifacts? Like, do I trade these in to get to get to get um to get to get its resources, or do I trade in to do the uh, to pop dilemmas? So it was just is is the main thing is what do you think is more important first? I I didn't thought and I didn't and that it was just my point. It was just bad strategy. My my on my on my on my on my part is bad strategy. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Okay, minor break. <laughs> minor break. Alex reminded me how old I am. <laughs> Ouch. My bad. <laughs> what do you guys think about the interplay in Euphoria? Is there enough? Is there enough that you can do? I mean, I have my opinion, but is there enough that you can do to interact with other players or no? Um, so it is very dependent on what of the sort of um, 
I'm not sure exactly the name of the mechanic in the game, but sort of the agents that you draw. The, um, the recruits. The recruits that you draw is very much dependent on the interplay. The other kind of interplay which affected me, maybe people weren't doing it purposefully, but is... So one of the ways that you get resources, there's kind of these uh, different ways that you can gather things. And what you gather from that spot is determined by the collective total of um, the dice that are on there. So the collective total of the workers on there. And one of the things that you can potentially get, which you have to roll a very low or have a very low value on there, is the reputations for the various different factions. Uh, One of the things that was affecting me was that my strategy very highly relied on one particular faction, but everybody kept putting high-value dice onto that faction spot, so I could never generate enough of the influence that I needed. Ah. Um, So that was kind of... Besides what the cards have been drawn, that is kind of like the big interplay that you can do. You know, you look around the board, you see all the factions everybody has, and you purposely do that to slow down everybody else from getting the points based around getting the factions to a specific level. But besides that, it is really the only thing you have are specific recruits that you get to interact with other players. So what about the markets? I mean, the markets, you don't, I guess you said it before, you weren't thinking that much about the markets. And the markets slow everybody down who's not on the market. Um, That's very true. Um, The thing is, is in the games that I have played, they have most of the time have been a very, very late game thing that has come into play. If you play aggressively towards opening the markets, um, that is very much a, I would say, a good level of interaction there. But it's just the way that a lot of the games that I have ended up playing, that they've been... I feel like I'm kind of contradicting what I had said earlier now, but it's, yes, that is a level of interaction, but not to the level, I guess, that I would say of the the previous things that I mentioned of the um, The various recruits are very strong in interaction and also the whole idea of blocking other players off of their influence tracks that they they need. I'd say that um, in a bunch of worker placement games, once you put a worker in a place, that spot gets locked. But in this game, where there's single slots, if you put a guy there, somebody else can bump you off that slot. Some of them. Most of them. Most of them. Um, so it actually becomes a thing of, it's kind of like in Charterstone, you can take a slot if it looks advantageous to somebody else, they're basically giving you a free action if they bump you. So you can't, so it's, it's hard to block folks. Um, and once they get resources, a lot of those resources are interchangeable in different spaces on the board. Mm. So even if you were to block a spot, they could just go to another spot and then, you know, they, they, they put down their achievement star, they put down their achievement, you know, um, it may not be their optimal play, but still getting closer to victory. Did you want to jump in with anything, Alex? No, because um, it's like what Ben says. But it depends on what what recruit you got. That's what I, that's what I saw with this game. Is like when John had his. It's like it affect it affect, affect different people. I remember when you had had your recruits, yep. and when you affected John and John's, it on um morale for morality and popularity. But also in doing that, it also kind of hinders. So some some of them hindered 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 yourself hindered hindered yourself because like hindered themselves because like 
I remember it was like one, I think one of them like your opponent gets smarter, but you lose popularity. Right. Or or somebody you know, I, I gain popularity, but I my my people get smarter. <laughs> so that fact, so to the next, next turn that that's going to hinder me a little bit. But as like I said, it's all about strategy. It's like how like what's 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 going what's going to be what's going to be your next objective for the next turn. I think the game is difficult to explain. It's easy to do mechanically, but sort of the long strategy in it, that's so hard to explain to somebody else. Okay. That your second game of it is going to, you're, you're going to be, it's going to, you're going to, you're at a 180 as far as building your engine and getting your engine to work. And I'll come back to that because I got a question. I got some thoughts and questions about that. I will say this. <clears throat> I think I mentioned it at the end of our game. Once somebody starts to run away, like once somebody gets a lead and actually starts to, sort of like I did, I identified an engine and it didn't need to last me very long, right? I got 10 stars total to put on the board. By the time I got my engine working, I'd already gotten, you know, five of them out. I was halfway there and it was very hard to stop me at that point. I don't think anybody can take apart your engine. Right. They can affect it to a certain degree. So it's not along the lines of uh, scythe. Uh, where if somebody starts to run away, you can do things to mitigate. Yeah, that. the table can bring that person back, and that's one of the things I, I'm, I'm actually noticing, and I think it's an improvement game over game for Stonemaier Games. Right, this very much being one of the, if not the first, it's one of the first games they put out that had stars. This was a the first person who can get their engine going the fastest, put it on, put the stars on the board, and boom, wins. I like the fact that on Scythe, they went, okay, wait, that's going to end the game. The first person to put their stars are going to end the game. They're going to have an advantage. But I've played games of Scythe. I, Benjamin, you and I both have recently played games of Scythe <laughs> where even when we're the ones that ended the game, that doesn't guarantee you won. And other people might be close enough with their achievements or might have maximized points because now stars equals a certain amount of points, but there's other points to calculate into the game. And then Charterstone sort of did something similar where they said stars and this other stuff is how you end the game, but really we're going to limit how you can put certain things out. We're going to limit where you play certain things. And on top of those limits, we're also going to layer on point salad and everything else. And there's not really... This game doesn't really have a point salad mechanic. There's three mechanisms to put stars out, and you do one of them, right? Or you do them all. So, what'd you think of the dilemmas? So, I should go back and explain. So, the first, th one of the things that gets dealt out at the beginning of the game is you get a card. It's your reference card for your resources. The back of the card has a dilemma, and you can take one entire turn to resolve your dilemma. Now. The dilemma gets resolved the same for everybody. It will look different, but effectively, there is one specific artifact card, which we've never explained what the artifact cards are, so we'll do that after and do all this backwards. Uh, there's one specific artifact card on your dilemma card, which is an item, or and you either get that item specifically or you just trade in two other any artifact cards, and now you get a choice. You can place a star... And 
do some sort of action that not really do an action, read a little bit of story fluff and really placing the star contributes to the city. You know, mine was make the workers toil more, or you can do this other thing, which gives you more recruits, which is more ways. Uh, well, it gives you more recruits, it gives you an additional recruit. Now I'll jump into how that works. What did you guys think of the dilemmas? But I think they add a lot to the story of the game, and they also add to the game mechanic. Okay. So your choice with the dilemma, well, as there's the different faction tracks that you advance, let's say you, you've got two things when you do your dilemma, two, two, two choices when you pull it off. One, you get a guaranteed star, or you could get a recruit that'll give you a special ability, and if they're maxed on the track, Right. Um, or possibly not matched. They could either flip and give you a special ability. They could not flip if you yet. picked yet. Not yet. Uh, if you've picked somebody from a track that hasn't progressed. We call that being a Benjamin in this game. Oh, come on. <laughs> oh, or um, they could give you both. So they could give you uh, one of your achievement stars and give you a special ability if it's from one of the tracks that's done really well. Right. So, and it's, and it's draw two cards and then pick one. So maybe it's a little bit of a gamble when you pull it off, but you can look at the tracks. Like when I did mine, um, we had two tracks that were two of the four that were. We were there yeah. within like two spaces of. Yeah. Yeah. Max. So amount. it was, to me, it made more sense to just go ahead and, and get an extra guy and a star as opposed to just saying make the safe, safe bet and get a star. Right. But if you only need one star, take the safe bet. Now, did you feel – so, John, clearly you were looking at the number of stars you could put out. Alex, you picked yours to put your star out. Was there any influence for you or for, for clearly not John, but Benjamin? <laughs> did you guys have any influence on the – Actual wording and action on the card versus just path towards victory points. So I guess I kind of have a little interesting story here. So um, it was very flavorful. So the, the way that our game ended out was we started the game and, um, well, I put out some things and then suddenly John interacted me with his card and made my guy smarter and then one of the things is when you take your workers back, you roll and you see if they end up getting smart enough and they go away. And, well, because of John's wonderful gift of making my guys smarter, uh, one of my workers got lost. And so, oh, you know, that's, of course, he the game. He got lost. He fled. He fled. <laughs> he fled. <laughs> and then, well, we played a couple more turns and, well, <laughs> the same thing happened again. And then played a couple more turns. Same thing happened again. So I was getting really, really mad that my guys were getting really, really smart and nobody was following <laughs> me. So I wanted my vengeance against all the smart people. And <laughs> the thing that I found hilarious was my my dilemma I had. It was I could get a book for it and it was either I could read a book to the people and, you know, I'd get more recruits. And the other thing I could do was burn a book. And let me tell you. I wanted to burn that book so bad because <laughs> I'm tired of my guys being super intelligent. But uh, that, that was kind of the fun little sort of uh, story um, sort of significance that sometimes the cards can have that, you know, have a funny little interaction yeah. in the game. I mean, I found it amusing that mine was 
play a game with everybody, which is you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, fine. <laughs> or put them back on their hamster wheels. Yeah, mine was like I can, I can. It's like I can stop propaganda or start propaganda. It's like I'm going to start propaganda. <laughs> So, okay, interaction, runaway leaders. At what point do you think, do you think there's a tipping point where maybe, and this is more of a concern, do you think there's a tipping point where it doesn't make sense to continue to play because there's no way to stop a leader? Like, if somebody, if if you have only put out two stars of your ten and somebody has hit their fifth, do you kind of call the game there? No, not really. I think, you think it's still? I think you can might bounce. It all, de- it all depends on. Like I said, it all depends. Like you might bounce back. Cause I think. I think you can bounce back from bounce back from that. Cause I think. It was it also like I said. It all depends. It also depends on like what like what's like what's out what's out on the, what's out on the field. Cause like. Just because John start starting was on with the first first one that had that that had the stars out, and then after that you had your stars out, and you came out like right out right off the bat like that. So it was. I think is, I think it's, it's all, I think it's always on also on strategy, like on strategy. Like you can like you could be you could be you could be behind, but it's like all right. If I was like if I if I work if I work on getting getting this resource first, or I'm gonna get get this stuff first, and try to and try to try to trail back up. Yeah, it does. At first, thing he's like, "Fight!" Like, oh man, I never bounce. I never get back. And they get back on this. But if you like, if but but also like on on, on the bottom thing, you show like, you can get you can get it's, there's multiple ways you can get stars and stuff. Right. So you can you can easily you can easily bounce you can easily you can easily give give get back on get back on the field. It's just gonna take it's gonna take a lot of time doing it. Well, that's what I wonder is if if it takes too much time. Like is at what point is the tipping point, or is there a tipping point? So, it was. I had such a disastrous start that after probably it probably was slightly before the halfway point of the game, I kind of realized that I was not going to win. I was going to try to get as many points as I could before I lost, but. The engine of both John and Bill was so much more advanced than me, and I just kept losing worker after worker. There was no... To me, I could try to get, you know, as many points as I could, but I could never see a point where I would surpass them in their ability to create stars. So, in my opinion, there there isn't enough interaction, as in, say, the example we gave earlier of Scythe, where you can actively slow players down by playing into that sort of play style. Uh, for me, it was just kind of, you know, I'm going to try my darndest to get as many points as I can here, but um, I see no way of... Now, what I find know. interesting, though, is you say that. You also said earlier you had a great time playing the game. Oh, yeah, most certainly. So, okay, so you said most certainly. So that means, I'm assuming that means, and, and I'll ask you to clarify... Is this a game that it actually doesn't matter if you're going to win or not? So for me, um, a lot of games that I do play, I kind of am somebody who, if I'm, if I, you know, I, I mean, kind of everybody's this way, but I guess I would say more than 
the average person, if I don't do well in it, it kind of really colors me to not enjoy the game. Mm-hmm. But one thing I found about Euphoria, I don't, I don't know what it is, but every time I've had fun, even though like this game was probably the worst I ever done, I it's had the bliss. It's it's the bliss, man. You got me hooked <laughs> on the bliss. <laughs> but I, I don't know. Maybe for me, it's the whole idea of this whole sort of background story I build in my head of you know, oh. Just, just the fun you can have of just how silly and ridiculous the sort of setting and the theming of what you're doing to me is entertaining enough. The sort of back and forth between players of, oh, I messed over, you know, John or uh, Bill or something in something by having, you know, my guys here so they can't get, you know, influence and stuff. It's... For me, I have always found that just I find some little niche in the game, especially the little building a story in my head, has kept me entertained um, even when I'm, you know, losing horribly. I I find it very easy to build a story with Euphoria. Mm. I mean, when I look at, I think they did a good job, and and it's one of the things I joked about early on, right? My hidden recruit was uh, John the Cannibal or something something like that. (laughs) But literally, it's a guy that says... When you retrieve your workers from the working pits, you can get rid of one of them, and you get a bunch of food. <laughs> right? I mean, and there's a number of things in the game that are sort of like that, right? Mm. It's, uh, I think they like that's a pretty blatant one, but I think I think they've done a great job in this game of tying together the results and the mechanics of whatever's happening to a name or a background or a go burn a book. Or, you know, uh, John, what was your, your dilemma was, um, my dilemma was, do I help a friend escape using boards? Correct. So in, so there are two pictures. One, I was waving goodbye to my friend as he sailed over a wall being, um, tied to a bunch of balloons. Kind of like it up. Right. Yep. yep. Um, so this is up meets Fahrenheit 451. <laughs> the other one is I turn him in. Um, and the same guy, I've got a got a scoped rifle, and I'm going to shoot the balloons down as he tries to get over the, over the wall. Um, so, Bill, I think part of the game, I, I just enjoyed playing it. Um, I, I didn't get frustrated, even if it didn't look like I was going to win or not. Um, but I think part of it is, is I'm not losing troops or people uh and you're not losing territory everything's just sort of arbitrary and then even as you and you're not really even really losing resources you're just gaining resources right that's interesting so like everything is a positive movement in the game your positive movement just may not be as fast as mine or somebody else's that's true and then we were all having a real good time playing we were. You know, and it may be because we may have a similar sense of humor. Some people may play the game, and they may not enjoy dark humor as much. So, Are you saying that we should not send this game to California? <laughs> oh, boy. Um, certain church groups probably wouldn't enjoy this game. <laughs> I, then now, did they do a really nice job with the artwork? Is like this art deco sort of rocket age thing. So it's yeah. so it's bright and it's dynamic, um, and a bunch of the illustrations are all tongue in cheek. They could have gone a different direction, and it could have been horrifying. 
So, and I guess we should, I said we were going to make sure we explain this because we talked about the balloons in the book and the, in the game. And so our, uh, and glasses is what Alex had. So the artifact deck, and I, I find it interesting how this ties together. The artifact deck is a deck of cards and each card has a picture of an item on it, but the items are all very specific. It's, it's baseball bats and glasses and games and a book and, uh, and the glasses are slightly broken and you know it's it's just these very generic a teddy bear and these very generic items but the way you get them is fairly limited number one you dig a tunnel in the ground and dig up this artifact obviously from some past civilization or people the second way you get it is you buy it with the bliss drug. <laughs> so <laughs> so, oh, so you can buy a couple of things. I can I can use bliss and some other commodities to trade for more commodities. I can use it to trade for more resources. You know, I can go trade my my drugs and my my water for gold. Or I can trade it for a beaten up teddy bear and a baseball bat. <laughs> right. So <laughs> I don't think anybody's going to flip the table on this unless you keep, you know, unless you keep taking Ben's dice away from him. That's um, true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, didn't flip it. <laughs> um, would we go back and play it again? Yeah, would we go back time? and play it again? Final comments, thoughts? Oh, no doubt. I'll play it again. Right now? Yeah. No, I, <laughs> <laughs> podcast over. Let's go. I'd play it again. Um, would I play it every week? Probably for a little bit, but maybe not, you know, maybe after the first month. I'd be happy with playing <laughs> it once a month. <laughs> Down to, okay, okay, every week for a month. So four plays and Benjamin. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I've I've played it um, a good amount of times in the past. I think about four times before uh, I played it today. And I've had fun in every single one of those games. Had fun this Of game. all the game groups that... I've been involved in, I think you personally are the one that has requested the game the most, which I'm all in on. And I, I don't get it. I think I've only won the game once or something like that. But every single time, I, I'm always, when the game ends, I'm always laughing, which is one thing I like about it. I, I really enjoy Euphoria. I, um, I am looking forward to when a expansion comes out for it. I hope it doesn't, I hope it doesn't take sure. anything away. So there is, it's Leaders of Euphoria is not an expansion. Uh, so John was asking, is there a Leaders of Euphoria expansion? Leaders of Euphoria is a separate game. And um, I have not played Leaders. Um, leaders of Euphoria. I have not played Leaders yet. It is a... Yes. Uh, I, I love the naming of this. Leaders of Euphoria. Choose a better oppressor. <laughs> Does it get much more euphoria than that? So, <laughs> like, 15 to 35 minutes, 4 to 8 players. It's actually designed by... It's, it's put out by a different company, Overworld Games, and it's designed by a different set, but it's based in the Euphoria world. Uh, Leaders of Euphoria, Choose a Better Oppressor is a social deduction game and it takes place earlier in the timeline than Euphoria when the city was young and foolish 
well, what are we now? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it's, uh, uh, let me see. As the city of Euphoria was being established, the struggle for political dominance raged between the Euphorians and the Subterrans. The Icarates had not yet descended upon the city, and the Wastelanders were still deciding whether they wanted any part of it. So this is like a this is like a this is like a prequel. It's like a prequel game. It's like a prequel game. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then uh, I have heard rumors of uh, I, I have heard rumors of a new. Euphoria expansion coming out, but have not uh, seen much detail on it yet. So I, I again, I enjoy Euphoria. I look forward to when it comes out, and uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes. Um, I think that's overall positive from us. Mm-hmm. I'd say so. So I'd agree. Yeah, I was thinking like, was it for the expansion pack? Is it under the same company? I don't know a lot about the right. expansion. I know uh, there's not an expansion out now. Okay. Um, I've heard rumors there may be one, but I have I, I have not uh, I have not don't have any details for that. Okay. Okay. Uh, with that, I think that's uh, our Euphoria review. Bye. Bye. <laughs> The Gamers Lounge review of Euphoria. Hopefully the sound was okay. We used a couple of different microphones, and it's a little weird looking at the waveforms on the screen here, but that is more than anybody really cares about. Um, clocking in about an hour, keeping pretty steady on the shorter episodes. I hope everybody's enjoying them. Uh, please feel free to email me at bill at gamerslounge.coda.net. Uh, you can... Find the Gamers Lounge out on um, iTunes. And, uh, hey, you know what? If you found this on a different podcaster and your, uh, or podcatcher or whatever, and there's a place that I need to list things that you know of that maybe your friends are having trouble finding the show or whatnot, um, go ahead and email me and let me know. Uh, so, you know, overall... Um, I appreciate anybody who helps out, uh, one of the ways that, you know, you can help, uh, other people find the podcast is by providing a review. Um, you know, my most recent review is back in 2015. So, uh, any new reviews will definitely help things, uh, pop up on the charts. Uh, leave those reviews out on out on uh, iTunes, if you could, uh, in your podcatcher, you know, if you go ahead and slap a review on there, uh, that really helps out a lot, and I definitely check those. Uh, outside of that, you also can find us on Facebook. I've been trying to keep people very current, and uh, hey, tell your friends that, you know, Gamers Lounge is back, that you're enjoying it, and that we are helping you spend your money on games that you may not have known about. So, uh, hey, I think that's it. I'm going to go ahead and let everybody go. Let's go to that wonderful Gamers Lounge music. 